Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's episode is a special edition of Bulletproof Radio. A good friend and mentor, uh, Charles Poliquin, a man who has helped elite professional athletes and Olympians win hundreds of medals, uh, who's been on the show, um, just passed away unexpectedly. And to honor his passing, uh, I'd like to share episode 378 of Bulletproof Radio again in this special edition. Charles was one of the most knowledgeable biohackers I've ever met, a guy who I could call if there was something that I didn't know, and he'd probably know it, whether it was a bizarre Russian peptide or an unusual way to tell whether fat deposition in the belly was caused by hormones or something else. He was a wealth of knowledge and was always eager and willing to share it. And I had the great pleasure of supporting Charles on growing his own business and was just incredibly sad to hear of his passing. And uh, we lost an amazing biohacker when he passed. So I wanted to share his amazing knowledge one more time in this episode. We talk about what happens to your brain when you put muscle on versus what happens when you do cardio and a bunch of other things that also share his amazing sense of humor. I know that you will enjoy this episode. I enjoyed recording it and I miss Charles. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io Dave for a seven-day free trial. Today's cool fact of the day is about the largest muscle in your body. If you don't know what it is, it's actually your gluteus maximus. As they say, a baby got back. But what's the smallest muscle? This is one you probably haven't really thought about, so listen carefully. It's called the stapedius muscle, and of course it's in your inner ear, which is why you're listening carefully. It's about five hundredths of an inch, and it stabilizes the smallest bone in your body called the stapes, or stapes, I have no idea, these Latin words, I have no idea how to pronounce it, but it looks like staples without the L. And it also helps protect you from loud noises or even the sound of your own voice. Uh, believe it or not, I believe it's absolutely possible to train that muscle too, it's just hard. There's a couple of technologies that let you do that, but we're not gonna talk about ear muscles today because we got some bigger things to deal with. Today's guest, I'm so excited about this, is Charles Poliquin. Charles is a world-renowned strength and conditioning educator and coach. He's helped some of the world's most elite athletes completely kick ass with hundreds of medals, wins, and personal bests in 17 different sports. He's worked with the champions, uh, Olympians, athletes, NHL, NFL, written a few books, one of which you're going to learn about today, and hundreds of articles about his techniques, decades of global training, and he runs Strength Sensei a valuable online resource around like training performance for athletes and coaches. And he's also, just on a personal note, he's one of the first biohackers out there. When you look at the world of biohacking, 
there's the, the strength and conditioning side, there's the nutrition side, there's the medical side, there's the crazy biofeedback, there's military special ops and resources and, and all sorts of things. We're doing free divers, uh, Wim Hof kind of you know, polar bear people. And what Charles has been doing for longer than most of those people is looking at the details, the things that happen inside your body, things that happen outside your body, how the signal you send to your muscles changes your body, mm. and come up with things that were absolutely pissing off the world that he said in the 80s that have been proven today to be true. So Charles, it's an honor to have you on. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, David. So I'm looking at you now on the, the YouTube video version of this, and you're about, what, 55 now? 55, exactly, yes. Can I, like, see your biceps? <laughs> like, I just, look at that. Like, you're, you guys completely ripped. You've got about 16 years on me. So I'm, I'm hoping that I look as good as you, uh, or heck, halfway as good as you when I'm 16, given I probably don't train nearly as much as you do. Why do you focus on maintaining muscle mass as you age like this? Like, what, what's important about that? I mean, as early as the 80s uh, in Boston, they did quite a few studies at Tufts where they looked at uh, what could predict um, aging. And the number one anti-aging uh, parameter that you could like is actually muscle mass. And the number two was strength, right? So it outshine cholesterol, high blood pressure, resting heart rate, max heart rate, and all these other factors. The thing is, is that there's a phenomenon called sarcopenia, which is death of muscles, and uh, we lose strength. But one phenomenon now more studied by the Italians is actually dynapenia, loss of strength. So there's a lot of exciting research now on actually peptides that would uh, slow down dynapenia and sarcopenia. So uh, it, one of the ways to stay young is actually how much muscle mass can you retain and how much strength. So for the, uh, you know, the, the more you train, the less you age, basically. And, there's, and then people say, okay, uh, big muscle day. But the thing you have to consider <laughs> is like when you have a, a large muscle mass, you also have more insulin site, uh, insulin receptor sites. And then we know that insulin is the hormone of aging. I mean, that's what you're all about. So if you have a lot of muscle mass, your ability to uh, control your glucose, control your insulin is enhanced. Uh, and things like in the 80s, in their late 80s, will bring hips, bones, and whatever. But if you have strength, you have more balance. Uh, there's actually a very good uh, study done on uh, what was most important in Parkinson's patient. Uh, I was consulted on the protocol, but they asked, uh, should they do balance exercise? Should they do aerobic work? Or should they do balance and weight training or balance and aerobic work? And it was one of the, what I call a no shit Sherlock study because <laughs> the, the results showed that uh, balance and strength training helped. But the, And I told them, I said, aerobic work will worsen the patients. And it did. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I said, you don't need to do the study, but he says, no, we need to. I said, okay, right. So they, they did the study, and one of the problems with aerobic work is that it oxidizes the body. So if you look at yes. studies on long-term uh, athletes, the, the ones with the less cognitive ability are actually the ones who've done the most aerobic work in their lifetime. So cross-country skiers, uh, roars, if you meant compare their cognitive ability in their 70s compared to a a weightlifter or a wrestler or uh, sport volleyball, their brains are sharper. Okay, so I mean, I always tell my students we're designed to throw a rock at the rabbit, not chase it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> we don't feed ourselves aerobically. So uh, I think it's, if people are now, there's been a, a change in attitude towards strength training, right? And then. Uh, and now we know, for example, to prevent osteopenia, which is lost of bone, strengthening is very valuable. Uh, and the Finns are probably the best researchers on that. Now, you said a couple of things that I want to dig in on. One of them is definitely around uh, the peptides, and we'll get there. Yeah. But the, the other thing you said was just that aerobic exercise isn't going to be good for your brain. Yeah. I, 
I've seen some studies that kind of make me mad around telomeres that say if you're doing you know, 50 mile runs, these ultra long distance runners who I believe are kind of beating the crap out of their bodies, mm-hmm. they yeah. get really long telomeres. Some interesting anti-aging stuff that Bill Andrews has talked about. I am in your camp firmly after many years of doing both mm-hmm. cardio and weights. Mm-hmm. I do occasional very mm-hmm. heavy stuff that bends my mm-hmm. bones as much as I can. I have machines that mm-hmm. bend my bones to cause bone mm-hmm. density, and I measure it on DEXA and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but what about the studies that say like aerobic exercise does have anti-aging? Can, can you sort of tell me your perspective on those? Uh, I haven't read those, so I'm not going to comment. But okay. in my, I've, I've seen plenty that show that, for example, uh, we did um, uh, Sport Canada did research on osteopenia in female Olympians for the 92 Olympics. And what they found is that there was also a direct correlation between uh, mileage of aerobic work and loss of bone. Uh, and that's been confirmed by other groups of researchers around the world. So maybe it helps with telomeres, but if you don't have a hip to support <laughs> yourself on, so what? Uh, I think it's, um, you know, I grew up in the 60s and it was, you know, Cooper and aerobic was great and blah, blah, blah. And then they suddenly uh, uh, pulled a 180 on us on that. Uh, I think that it's, and if you look at uh, mitochondrial damage uh, or even gut lining damage from aerobic court, the results are not uh, promising. So okay. it, it, you got to look at and The problem with science is that you have to take one variable and that's the one you measure and you can't look at everything. But also in a real life, you can't look at the world through a straw. So, yeah. it, you know, that's, this may help this, but at the expense of what, right? So uh, I'm not, uh, that's why I prefer studies on long-term athletes and then say, okay, let's compare a weightlifter to a a wrestler, let's compare whatever. I did a lot of looking at at this just for Headstrong, the the new book on mitochondria that's really meant for the brain, just through the lens of what's going to grow the most mitochondria. Mm -hmm. And there's a set of research that says lifting heavy is going to get that for you. And then there's a set of research that says walking for 20 minutes a day is going to get that for you, but not running, not the the intense stuff. So the recommendations are like move a little bit every day, which is going yes. to, to stimulate that. And I use uh, the Bulletproof Vibe whole body vibration because yeah. it's a little faster than going yeah. for a walk and you get yeah. stimulation there. Uh, but then like lifting heavy, in my case, uh, my goal isn't to be as muscular as you, mm. uh, but to be muscular, or I guess the New York Times called me almost muscular, which is from an yeah. anti-aging perspective, I think, where I want to yeah. be. Uh, yeah. That was a compliment, I hope. <laughs> but they, uh, uh, the goal is that, and that one once a week or even once every 10 or 15 days seems to be enough as a non-athlete. Correct. Do you think that I might be under-training on strength? if I'm maintaining the muscle mass I'm looking for? The thing is, is that I would, I would probably increase the volume to maybe uh, twice a week. Twice a week, wow. Yeah, yeah. because, uh, but the thing is, is that are you trying to look at Conan the Barbarian? No, nah. right? <laughs> but but the, well, the thing I would say is that it would be better to have a short workout twice a week Mm-hmm. So let's say 20 minutes twice a week and 40 minutes once every 10 days. I only do 15 minutes once every 10 days, but I'm doing it with uh, uh, computer-driven feedback equipment. So I, I'm basically using the ARX, which I'm fighting against a winch. So it, it's essentially like isometrics against a moving plane. So you get really rapid muscle exhaustion. I, I don't think I could do a 40-minute workout on that machine. It would kill me. <laughs> okay. But, not, but that's why we're not – but the, you may want to up okay. your frequency. Okay, I, yeah. I will, I'll, I'll play with that. Uh, now, and I, I'm in my mid-40s. Uh, let's talk about peptides. You said there's some new stuff about peptides. I put on 12 pounds of muscle in the mm. last month mm. with basically three workouts, which is, is unbelievable to me, but I'm using SARMs, the selective yeah. androgen receptor modulators. Are those the peptides you're talking about or something else? Well, the... Uh, peptide and the SARM is a different thing, but as yeah. far as, like, say, okay. compounds, uh, okay. the SARMs, that's another thing that's very exciting. Uh, like the RAD140 seems to be very efficient. 
I haven't even tried Rad 140. I'm doing 4033 and 50156. By the way, for everyone listening, there's a blog post on Bulletproof about the different selective androgen receptor modifiers. They're all research chemicals. Mm. Some of them are probably banned by sporting bodies, but they mm. seem to work really well. And the reason I did it was because one of them gives you a 50% increase in mitochondria. Like, I'll, I'll take that, thanks. Yeah. So anyway, I just some people, I don't want to be too technical without defining terms. Yeah. So go ahead. But the thing is, just for example, there's a, a peptide that's, I just got the paper where they took, okay, it's an animal model, but he on purpose damaged the sciatic nerve and then injected this peptide called cortigen. And there was a regeneration of the nerve with uh, that peptide. The interesting wow. thing is that one of the reasons why we lose muscle mass is the uh, damage done to the nerves as we age. So that compound, in my opinion, is... Um, is the way to go. So last week, I had a conversation with uh, Jean-François Tremblay at the University of Montreal. He's going to do a PhD thesis. And I, he was asking me, what protocol do you recommend? And I said, well, I'll go to a uh, retirement community, have people lift weights and inject bathyrostatic water and add the other ones, have the cortigen and see what it does. So that apparently that's what he's going to do for his PhD. Uh, and uh, so... Danapenia is now the, the word uh, in anti-aging in my field. Danapenia, you said? Dyna, like dynamic. Oh, dyna. Okay, cool. Okay. So loss of dynamic, so loss oh, of strength. So, sorry, I, I heard a glitch there. Danapenia has been a guest on the show. I'm like, he's like a, a yeah. you know gazillionaire in the UK. Like what? So sorry, completely lost me. He does anti-aging stuff, but okay. So th- this idea of loss of strength versus loss of, of mass. So being bulky and weak is actually probably worse than being less bulky and strong? Well, one of the things is that you can't separate the nervous system from the muscle. So if you lift weights and get bulky, your nervous system gets a benefit. But you know, probably the ideal combination for anti-aging would actually be something that works at the nerve level and something that works at the muscle level, right? And then, uh, so I'm quite excited about that, you know. Uh, and then I think in the next few years, we're going to see more and more papers that will study dynapenia and sarcopenia together. That is is fascinating. When I did this thing with the, the SARMs, uh, just because this is top of mind for me, I have a computer that's tracking my max, uh, like the, the max I can lift on just the, the big four movements, yeah. you know, squats and presses mm-hmm. and things like that, pull downs. I did at least 12% higher on my max and on one of them 20% higher just over the course of three weeks by increasing mitochondrial density. Yeah. I was completely blown away. Like like that really exceeded my expectations. And my max before was reasonable for a guy my size, not, mm. not insane, but not weak by mm. a long shot. What, uh, what would a listener today uh, who wanted to reverse their muscle loss, maybe without going to SARMs or wanted to mm. increase their strength, what is the the fastest way that they could go about getting even some kind of gains like that? Like, do they need to go to SARMs or is this just a training thing? Okay, I would say training would have more of an impact, but the SARMs conge- in conjunction with training would be two plus two equals five. Okay. Uh, okay, so it has a multiplying effect. But I think that if you just did the SARMs and sat on the couch, it wouldn't be a two, it'd be a point two, right? So you a do need that, okay? So you do need that stimulus. Uh, it's like basically you have a fire and if you blow air on the fire, the fire goes. So the SARM would be uh, the amount of wind that goes on the fire, but you still have to light up the flame. So adding yeah. wind will not do much for it. So, uh, and then, you know, there's the uh, MK177 that uh, is, uh, shows promise. Uh, so I think in, in the, this is theoretical, but I've done yeah. a lot of stuff theoretically in a practical way that showed up to be <laughs> true 30 years later. But That's why I like you. <laughs> yeah. So if you put a gun to my head and said, man, give me the word you think is your best guess, I would say you would do two weeks well, that's eight to 12. Mm-hmm. Then change completely the exercise, change completely the speed and the rest. And when, when you say eight to 12, you mean eight to 12 reps and stacking yeah. the weight up or what yeah. for yeah, so 
eight to 12 reps where you reach muscle failure, okay? Okay, so, so a single set of eight to 12 until you can't do another one, all right. Or multiple, but, uh, but the point is is that you work at that intensity zone, which would be about 70 to 78% of your match. And then okay. in another two weeks, I would change the sarm or change the peptide and then go heavy, like four to six reps. And then next month, next month, start with another peptide and keep going like that. Because I think with these things is that there's the law of diminishing returns. Mm-hmm. And then one thing I tell people all the time is that strength training is like learning, learning a foreign language. So you need repetition. So if, if I say to the word to you in a foreign language once, you're not going to remember what research shows is you need to repeat that with at least six times. But if you uh, do, a, a, let's say, a Swedish lesson every 10 days, the odds that you grow your Swedish will be low. So there's such a thing as frequency. But if you're doing Swedish lessons seven times a day, you wish my brain can't handle it. So there's a need for rest, there's a need for stimulus. And then the thing is, is that when you learn a foreign language, how do you know that you master the language is when you're funny in it, right? Because, you know, when you think, for example, uh, the sentence, did he really say it? If I type that in an email, it doesn't say, did he really say it? Or did he really say it? Or did he really say it? So just by putting emphasis on one of the words, the sentence doesn't mean the same thing at all, even though it's the same words, right? So with strength training, you have to put emphasis on different things. So that's how you build up your training vocabulary, right? And I think the okay. peptides would be the strength training would be the vocabulary, and the peptides would be grammar, right? Uh, wow, what a great analogy! That's cool, yeah. Charles. Yes, thank you. All right, so I, I I think that answer for for listeners is basically mix up your strength training a couple times a week, and if you did decide to use SARMs. Uh, you mentioned several there. I think I covered all, but I haven't talked about Cortigen on, on the blog post about SARMs. Have you written about SARMs? Are they in your new book? No, but I just hired last night uh, that guy, Tambly from Bristol, Montreal, to start writing on uh, peptides and SARMs for me. Okay, uh, so, yeah, so where can you, people find that stuff? I, and just yeah. if you're, if you like Bulletproof Radio, you've been listening for a while and you like the people, like Charles is like, OG, like really knows more about biohacking and, and not the, uh, there's definitely a bodybuilding or a muscle mass component to what he does, but mm-hmm. there's body composition and performance are mm-hmm. actually more behind what he does uh, than just the muscle building stuff we're talking about now. So if you're not following him, uh, what's, what's your URL or where should people go to get your newsletter? I read it. Like it's really good. Strengthsensei.com. Strengthsensei.com. All right. And then, uh, you know, I'm 55 now, so obviously my goal is a lot different than when I was 25. Like Muhammad Ali said, if you had 45, you're the same guy that when you were 18, you know, you wasted quite a bit of your life. So I have different goals, but I think that the the peptides are very exciting, especially some of the stuff to regenerate collagen, cartilage, like the BPC-157, the BCP-157, uh, the TB-500, uh, I've seen a lot of my students who've, uh, for a reason X, Y, Z, they've torn something with it in meniscus and they go on peptide therapy and then their, their um, lives change because they can finally get out of pain, right? And I mean, there's one of the things I really like, unfortunately, they stopped making it in Austria, is uh, ActoVagan, which was uh, basically A C T O V E A G. A-N, or V-I-N. Uh, okay. It's a blood, veal blood extract. And it's it, pretty much everybody that's famous in the world of soccer or track and field has had active injections. And wow. this, this stuff will regenerate cartilage. And I can swear by it because uh, my doctor is from Luxembourg, and he prescribed it to me. And on my right shoulder, it completely regenerated the cartilage. Um, and it's, but now only Lithuania makes it, so it's a bit harder to get. But if you're creative, you could get it. That's interesting. I'll have to do some research on that. 
Uh, by the way, for you, if you're listening and you didn't catch that, all of these compounds will be in the show notes on the Bulletproof website. So, and there's a full transcript you can read as well. So if, if you want to go back and like take notes on this, that's I, cool. I will send you a picture of the, the, the product. I can send that to you. Oh, cool. That, that's really helpful. I'll have to find a way to get some and give it a shot myself. Now, I think that there's probably some discomfort from people listening. We're talking about using some research-grade chemicals, things that have been proven in labs, but we don't have 25 years of data to show that they're not going to make you grow new eyeballs or cancer cells or whatever else. Mm. Um, but you have athletes using them. You've obviously used some of these things yourself. I've used them because I looked at the risk-reward, and the reward is pretty big, and the risk looks pretty low, given the mechanisms we know. How, you know, how concerned about safety are you for all these things? Well, no. I'm going to make a note here. None of my athletes have used them because they possibly could be banned any day, right? So, okay. But I, but I have students, lots of students, uh, or yeah. non-athletes that I've okay, used I them. Hear you. So I get a lot of feedback uh, from the trenches on how great they are. Uh, but personally, I have used peptides and the Yacto-Vegan to regenerate uh, soft tissue, and I think they work really well. Uh, I have no qualms about that. The... the the thing is, there's not a lot of research yet, but um, it's one of these things, you know, how much risk are you trying to take from, uh, put it this way, I'd rather be pain-free than <laughs> not than be in pain uh, that yeah. without using like oxycodone or anything like that. And at least yeah. you generate the joint. But actual vegan... I first heard about it uh, around 2004, and I can tell you, pretty much, uh, there's a country, I, I will only use its initials, Germany, that <laughs> where all the, a, lot, a, lot of the, a lot of the soccer players have been treated by uh, this doctor out of Munich with Actovagin. It's not a banned substance. Uh, they wanted to ban it. I've heard it in some traditions, but it's a miracle compound. I mean, I've seen a lot of retired athletes fly to Munich, get treated with that. Golfers are down there. Uh, and then, but the compound is time tested. I've never heard of anybody for the last 15 years having any issues with it. If a, a 50 year old CEO mm. who's you got an extra 20 pounds of gut, you know, flies all the time mm -hmm. and exercises a couple times a week if he's lucky. Uh, and is looking at, all right, I, I don't like, I don't like the flab. I don't like my muscle mass. Is it appropriate for guys like that to start thinking about incorporating peptides or should, should they just go straight on testosterone replacement? Cause you know, if you're 50, your testosterone is low anyway. First thing you should do is get a full uh, panel, right? Because a lot of times guys have low testosterone because they don't manage their insulin properly. And, <laughs> no, let's go to that, yeah. <laughs> okay, and the second most important factor, and some people think it is the most important factor, and we tend to agree, is sleep quality. Okay, mm -hmm. If you look at, there's a lot of research on what does boost testosterone but one thing that we know that works in 100% of subjects is deep sleep, okay? But people look at screens. I tell people, you want good sleep? Stop looking at the screen three hours yeah. before you go to bed, right? So just that, uh, it's effect on the pituitary gland and whatever else. Uh, magnesium deficiency will disrupt your sleep. So I would say to your listeners, there's seven cheap tests you can do, even if you don't have insurance and you pay out of your pocket, you can go to a place like any test, any Yahoo or whatever that brand is, and get yeah. write your own script. The thing that's most important, in my opinion, is HB1AC, so yeah. black-related hemoglobin. So if you you say you only have forty bucks to invest in your health, check that out. And of course, the lower the percentage of that molecule, the healthier you are. But if you're six point eight, you're maybe diabetic uh, after your next uh, soda. That's the <laughs> where you're on the edge. I mean, so that like uh, Joe Paul says is liquid Satan, right? So, <laughs> so you get your HB1 you see and you try to bring down at least below 4.8. So that's the test. Vitamin D3 is linked to every, all causes of mortality. If your D3 
is horrendous, you're more prone to depression. You're more prone to suicide. But also glucose and insulin management is horrendous. So you get your D3 status. Then I would measure uh, my morning insulin, my morning glucose. So if you just look at math, in the U.S., they tell you uh, your morning glucose should be between 70 and 99. Well, that's a stupid way to look at it because for every milligram percent you're above 70, your risk of heart attack goes up 5%. Above 70, not 87, which is the gold standard for anti-aging forever? <laughs> so 70 is damned low, Charles. Wow. So, so if you're 99, right? You got 145% more risk of a cardio. Uh, but your risk activity. is so low. I mean, your risk is really low anyway, on, on average. So 145% more, like relative risk, is kind of a. Yeah. It's a small change, right? You got to. Yeah, but you, you, the problem is the doctor will say you're fine. Uh, that's a very. That's a fair point. I, I get. Okay. I get that. Okay. So where would you rather have 70 or 99? Right. So I mean, so not. Taking care of your health is a, a very uh, sure sign of low self-esteem, yeah. right? <laughs> so, so I would look at that. And then another test I would do is a reactive uh, insulin test. Because sometimes you pass morning glucose, morning insulin, but you don't pass a glucose challenge test, right? And then, uh, so we have glucose, insulin, reactive glucose, HB1C, vitamin D3, and the last two are red blood cell magnesium. I didn't say serum mm -hmm. magnesium, red blood cell magnesium, and then red blood cell zinc. Because if you look at it, a magnesium deficiency impacts four major systems. You can't make DHA properly if you don't have any, enough magnesium. Uh, magnesium regulates how much cortisol you put out under stress. So people with uh, red blood cell magnesium are low stress responders in the sense that you give two people the same amount of stress, somebody with a lot of magnesium reserve will handle it and person with poor magnesium will freak out. Okay? In French, we say a thunderstorm in a glass of water. They're the types of people that overreact to everything. And that's a clinical sign of low magnesium. And zinc uh, is not known as the great organizer. So anything that's a fluid is regulated by zinc. Whether it's your tears or your semen, it's zinc related. So if you don't have, if you have poor zinc status, you also have poor immune status. And both magnesium and zinc are involved in insulin and glucose management. So that's why I like a lot of those seven tests. You, you do what I call them, manifesting seven, and it's a cheap way to get it. And if you have more money, then you can look at your telomeres and whatever else. Okay. But for the listeners out there, and it, it's interesting because some of your listeners may be from Sweden, and to get a D3 test in Sweden, you got to fill a three-page questionnaire, <laughs> right? So when I have Swedish friends that go over and stay in my house, they go to any test in time, anyhow, and they get a full panel for about 600 bucks that would cost thousands in Sweden, and you would have to go through days of paperwork, right? So my, my, wife, you, my wife is a Karolinska trained uh, Swedish physician uh, who practices, well, she's not formally practicing, she has a fertility coaching practice now. Uh, but yes, yeah, so sometimes it's weird because Sweden is very progressive on some medical things, but like vitamin D in a dark country, you'd think they'd yeah. want to like hand that out yeah. at the 7-Elevens, but it doesn't yeah. make sense. Uh, so I, I love it that I said, you know, what, what should a 50-year-old do in order to, uh, you know, put muscle back on? And instead of saying, you know, use, use SARMs, use peptides, use testosterone, you're like, get the core data about what, what's working and what's not working. So given, okay, you got a guy who probably doesn't sleep very well, or a woman, uh, doesn't sleep very well, uh, probably doesn't train very effectively, uh, lots of you know, job stress and circadian stress because mm -hmm. they're flying around and things like that. So what of those lab tests would you predict would be off in the average person who's you know, carrying 20 extra pounds and you know, not, not quite happy with how they look? All seven. All seven, okay. So that's why with, year, okay. with years of experience, I found that those sevens are the cheapest way to do it because I always have questions for my readers like, I can't afford this test. I can't, you know. And I said, okay, this is the cheap bastard way to find out how healthy you are. Right? Cool. So if a guy came to see me and all those values are out, 
I don't think there's a point to go on testosterone until you fix your insulin, right? Because the guy goes, okay, I need testosterone. So he goes to see a doctor that is willfully prescribing testosterone, gives him testosterone, but he's fat. So some of that testosterone will aromatize, and then he'll have nipples the size of frisbees within a week, right? And he's going to squat the piss because his estrogen is way through, through, the, <laughs> through the roof, right? So the first thing you need to do to improve health is to improve insulin sensitivity. So lose you 20 pounds. If you have the testosterone count of a Catholic mouse in a church, then go on testosterone. But the thing is, is that uh, insulin is a castration and aging hormone. Okay. So learn how to eat, uh, learn how to sleep. And there's so much data. How do you recommend eating? I, I mean, I, I know the answer, but I think listeners would, would also just appreciate your take on it. So you know, what, what should your plate look like? My diet looks like, okay, I'm a big believer. Well, okay. Rule number one, the diet has to suit your genetics. Yep. So all I eat is different than how someone should eat. So for example, there's a lot of studies on the amount of copies of the amylase digestion uh, genes. So we, for, for, starch. From, yeah. for starch. So if you're from Kashmir, you can eat a lot of starch and stay lean. Okay. With my ethnic background, that does not work for me. If you're from, and, and what's your, what's your background? I'm French Canadian, but I have quite a bit of native blood. So okay. for me, meat is great. So let's say if I wake up in the morning, this morning, what did I have? I had yak. Right? I love yak. <laughs> I love so, yak. <laughs> so what I do is I put uh, gold butter, I roast some cashews, and then I throw in the meat, put some salt, some spices, eat that. And then I always believe that in the morning, for a guy like me, so that's what I do, but it may not work for you if you're from Vietnam, right? So the amount of carbo, the average percentage of carbohydrates worldwide is 40%. That's optimal if we look just at an average, but for a person like me, 25 is a lot. So, and I'd rather- 25%, not 25 grams, right? You're not no, like ultra low carb or anything. No, no. Okay. Okay, and then, and because I've got a lot of muscle mass, I can afford more carbs. So the rule with carbohydrates is you cheat, uh, carbs have to be deserved. So if you're fat, you don't deserve carbohydrates. Maybe if you're at 30% body fat, your carbon intake should be 10 licks of a dried prune at Christmas. Okay, that's it. <laughs> so, so you, I mean, you, you would recommend radical carbohydrate restriction for fat people. Correct. Okay. Uh, but up to a point, if you're from Serbia or Slovenia, you tend to have very low fat in the upper back, even when you're fat. And those people do terrible on low-carb diets for fat loss. It's the quality of the carbohydrate. You should have the slow carbohydrate, which is drinking, right? I mean, that's common sense. And... and Mark Twain said once that the problem with common sense is not that common. Right? <laughs> or, or if you do have common sense, the, the, the curse is the amount, the amount of people you have to deal with every day. So the so that's what I would eat. And then as a source of fat, I use MCT oil, I use fish oil, uh, I use uh, two tablespoons of coconut oil. And like that, my brain's on fire, not inflamed, but like, I can write, right. like coach, you know. And that are you looking for, for are you looking for ketones from your diet? No, you're eating too many carbs to get ketones. So you, what's the MCT oil for? Is that to, to raise ketones? To raise ketones, but also to make my uh, insulin curve be as low as possible, mm. right? And right. for lunch, I typically uh, go for a white protein. So fish, chicken, turkey. There's nothing magical about white, but you know, I've dealt a lot with hockey players, so I like things that are simple. So red in the morning, white, so people don't have to worry. <laughs> right? right? So, and then that's what I would have, two or three vegetables, right? Or a salad. And then my dinner usually is another protein. Uh, let's say I could have duck breasts. Uh, for, but I, I really uh, like to have more fats and not... Not a guy that does very well on lean meat. Yak is a very lean meat, but because I use gold butter and all the other yeah. oils, it, it takes care of that every day. Is the goat butter because you're allergic to cow butter or because it has higher butyric acid in it? That's the reason, but also you get taste fatigue. 
Sometimes oh, okay. I use uh, uh, cow's butter, but I find that for me, uh, probably because of butyric acid, I feel better and it goes better. Yeah. And it's funny because everybody that comes here, right now we're filming videos for my upcoming membership site. And I had a guest, and he was the first time he ate yak with gold butter, and he's like, now he's a convert, right? So I use quite a bit of, um, of that. And then at dinner, that's when I would have starch for the day. Okay. So typically sweet potatoes or purple potatoes, or some, some type of starch, some rice. But most people should stay away from grains. And one thing that I found that's really useful is for people to get uh, um, food intolerance tests. But there's only one lab yeah. that, that does a correct food intolerance test. Which is the lab you recommend? I, I've, I'd love to hear your, your thoughts. I, you know what? I've, I've tried every lab using players' insurance from different federations because they can afford whatever they want. The federation doesn't care. The only one that is valid is Cyrex Labs. You like Cyrex. Okay, that's one I've been recommending for a long time. I love Cyrex because the thing with Cyrex, the, the, they can tell you if your gut is a compromise, which is the first series of tests you do. They also look at what does the food do to your blood-brain barrier. So, um, and I just had a class in Phoenix with Cyrex, and then we had uh, every student did um, the test, and every day I get an email like, man, that test changed my life. Because, for example, I had a student from a Czech Republic, and she ate daily oats and um, dairy. Right? Mm -hmm. And this girl was very lean, but there was no visible sign of an abdominal on it. And then a week after abstaining from all the red foods, she had deeply etched abs because of the inflammation created by the yeah. uh, forbidden foods. So with Cyrex, what I've seen is that for example, depression. A few years ago, I had peers of severe depression. Depression where I was a loser, I want to shoot myself in the face. Like I was this close. Mm -hmm. And it would only happen one day a month, every month. I said, you know, I can't have PMS. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a uterus or ovary. So what was wrong? So I did the Cyrex lab. And it turns out I was the, the patient at that time with the worst uh Wheat allergy they've ever seen. Wow. And why would, why would I have depression? And I was also intolerant to uh, cow products. And then, so I would fly home to see my daughter. And, you know, I'm not the type of guy that carries food in Tupperware to stink up the first class. So I would eat whatever it was. And I'd say, oh, I'm having one bun a month with one slice of cheese. So what? Well, it wasn't even so what. So within yeah. 12 to 16 hours, I would have these stupid thoughts. So Mondays, I would feel like shit, man. By Tuesday, I was fine. And um, so I did a size test, uh, abstained from all the foods. And then six months later, I retested. And the wheat was still severely there. But uh, I was not intolerant to eggs and dairy anymore. Wow. So because you get what you call cross-reactivity, uh, right? So... Uh, the Cyrex saved my brain, that's for sure. That's why when people say, I can't lose weight or there's something wrong, I don't know what it is, usually it's a food intolerance. Yeah. Um, my experience has been the same way, both personally. I, I would have my yeah. one cheat day yeah. uh, on, uh, you know, like a, a Friday night, I'd have yeah. a cheesecake or something, and I'd be okay on Saturday, a little tired on Sunday, and Monday I was just a total jerk and a zombie. Mm -hmm. And it took me like a couple of years, and this is going back like 15 plus years, to figure out that it's what you did a few days before. And there was personality changes, like like I'm angry, yeah. like my middle finger on Monday morning is like really ready to go. And and it's you kind of feel like, like you're a little bit crazy or something, yeah. because like why is this going on? It's environmental, it's what you put in your body, right? Yeah, the two worst stresses, sources of stresses is what come from the mouth. What you put in your mouth and what comes out of your mouth, right? So, <laughs> well said. And if so, you put the wrong stuff in, you're going to not like what comes out, that's for sure. Yeah, and then it's it's funny because I've one of my Russian clients got her test done and she goes like, it's amazing our brain has changed from just eliminating those foods. And it's interesting yeah. because some of the foods are thought as being healthy. For example, I've got a strong intolerance to quinoa. 
Mm-hmm. I would rarely eat quinoa, but every time I ate quinoa, <laughs> I thought I ingested napalm. Like I said, why is my stomach killing me? And, and flax, I'm very intolerant to flax. Uh, so by dropping those foods, I mean, my health, and then joint pain went away. Yeah. Right? Because food intolerance is killer for your joints. And, and I, I, I'm grateful that you're just going into those details. So, so one group of people would say, well, this guy obviously is weak because he can't eat everything on the planet. And if, if people are watching the video, dude, you're not weak. Like you, no. you kick ass on multiple levels. Your brain is sharp. You're in, in really good physical shape. Uh, and what's going on is you found the stuff that's biologically compatible with your system and yeah. you avoid the stuff that makes you weak, right? Correct. So, and then, but the thing is, is that one of my friends is Serbian and he's done the test. He's very lean. And if I ate what he ate every day, I'd be on welfare <laughs> and yeah. depressed and unmotivated, right? And if he ate what I ate, he'd be sluggish, right? So the key is with nutrition is to find what works for you. But it's a very simple test. You can find it on my website. It's the breakfast test. Is I have people wake up right on a scale one to 10, how their brain works, right? So they could say, okay, I feel like a seven. And then they do the meat and that's breakfast, which is explained also on my site. And then an hour later, you should rate their brain. And most people will have an increase in their scores. I feel better. And some people say, actually, I feel sluggish. Then the next day, I make them do the opposite. So uh, 70 to 80% carbohydrate breakfast. And then rate yourself before the breakfast and after the breakfast. Like I like me, if I had pancakes for breakfast, you know, I'd be waiting for my welfare checks. I would never work in my life. But <laughs> some people uh, thrive. So, for example... Uh, my daughter's mother could probably go to work drinking a liter of maple syrup if we're going to work, and it wouldn't bother her, right? But she has a high tolerance to carbohydrates. So to sum it up, is you've got to eat according to your genes, not your Levi's, but <laughs> your genetic profile. One of the things that I, I did in putting together the infographic or the, the roadmap for the oh. Bulletproof Diet was that, I'm like, look, there's a group of things that agree with most people, like like the non-offensive vegetables that most people aren't allergic to. Um, most people can handle butter. Even mm. if they're dairy sensitive, they can eat butter. And a few other like kind of simple foods uh, that are high in nutrients. I'm like, just eat that for a while. You don't have to be low carb. You can eat some rice, but just the clean uh, sources of starch that don't go up a lot. Do it mm. for two weeks and see how you feel. And most people... Um, to your point, like they're like, well, I feel great. And there's this huge list of suspect foods, lentils, nightshades, uh, all sorts of other, other things in their grains where, you know what? Huge percentage of the population aren't going to do well. And unless you're going to go out and do a Cyrex panel, you probably, uh, you're probably just not going to know. So the idea is eliminate all the potential suspects just to get a baseline and and for me, like like the, the big difference was, wow, all this pain I've had my whole life, I've had three knee surgeries, it uh, it all went away, uh, which was uh, which was remarkable. And, and then you can add stuff back in. And of course, I have my, my lab tests mm. and all that from different food tolerance labs just like you. Mm. But most of them didn't pick out. For me, the nightshades are a big thing. So the whole point for listeners is it's okay if the guy next to you is eating something and you like that food and you just choose not to eat it because it's not compatible with your system. There's no weakness. And anyone who tries to, to shame you or tell you, oh, you have to eat that, like just tell them to go screw themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, like don't eat stuff that makes you feel crappy and act like a jerk. Like that's what's happening to us. <laughs> so. Yeah, because you know, if I could invent a pill that makes Krispy Kreme dull both everybody, I'd be a billionaire, right? For sure. <laughs> The thing is, is that one the, one thing that people do notice when they start eating clean is that the so-called cheap foods start to have no value. Right? They go like, now I know why I stopped, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I remember in 2006, I had to go back to Canada for nine months and uh, I had to drive a long time and I stopped. And it was one of those uh, gas stations with no healthy food. I said, oh, fuck this. I'm going to have, and I picked a chocolate bar that I used to like as a kid. After the first bite, I go, holy shit, I know why I stopped. I threw it in the garbage. But the, the thing is, is that as your cells get smarter, you can tell what works for you or not. You know? 
Yeah. And then, um, for example, uh, most most people. No, I don't know anybody that's ever been mugged by a dozen donuts, right? So they're all voluntary choices. It's some, one of these things we do have control. We don't have control over the electricity, but we do have control about the food we put in our stomachs. So, mm-hmm. and then what I tell people is, is that what is your body and your brain worth to you? And if you if you pick those M&Ms and so pick up raisins and cashews, you're telling me you have low self-esteem. The most read article on my website is called The Myth of Discipline. And I blow away the myth of discipline because I don't think this is a thing of discipline is whether you love yourself or not. Mm. So if you love yourself, you make the right choices. If you have low self-esteem. So if you say to me, I really like to eat two dozen donuts a day. And I'm a recovering Catholic. I'm not going to put guilt or shame on you. I'm going to tell you, you prefer your taste buds than having a well-functioning brain. That's your choice. But it's not a matter of discipline. Yeah. You, uh, you and I are both focused on this cognitive function, and you said something that's controversial, but something that, that Dr. Perlmutter and, and Dr. Amen, two very well-known uh, yeah. uh, neurologist types um, who are friends and guests on the show, they said the same thing, but I think you might have been the first one to say it, that the link between IQ and fast food consumption, what's your take on that? Oh, Okay. Well, there's a very good researcher out of Calgary, Richard Johnston, who all he did was he measured the amount of uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken outlets that were per capita. <laughs> so it would be an in- indirect way to measure um, trans fats consumption. And there's an inverse correlation between the amount of KFCs and your IQ. <laughs> oh, no. Right. Trans fats and MSG, they both are going to jack your brain in every way. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you mentioned you, you ate your your grain and cheese thing once a month and made you feel bad. I know people who are like, well, I'm not drinking, so I had insert name of junk food place here. How, you know, how often is okay? Is it okay to have fast food like that? Okay. I think, it, yeah, you got to look by Let's say if you have four meals a day and you have 28 meals a week and one is cheat, I don't think it's going to be that bad because you have 27 that are good, right? Mm-hmm. But that's not 100% commitment. So if you want 100% <laughs> results, it's 100% commitment. But I don't think that that meal is going to destroy the other 27. No, it's right? not. So, and I think one thing that I find successful as a clinician is to allow people to have a, I prefer to call it a refuel meal than a cheat meal mm-hmm. or a permissive meal than a cheat because cheat, you know, implies Catholic guilt. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't like that. So, and then I tell people what I do is that on purpose, I tell them eat the worst shit you can think of that you really like. And people say like, what do you mean? I said, if you want to park a tent at Mrs. Fields, and eat cookies for 24 hours, you eat cookies for 24 hours. And then what I make them do is I make them train the next day. Their, mu- <laughs> their, their muscles are full of glycogen, they feel good, you know, they retain water, they put weight on the scale, but as soon as they do certain movements, they go, oh, shit, I got so much elbow pain, or I got knee pain, or I'm so stiff, and I go, dude, that's the food we ate yesterday. So next week when we do the permissive meal, let's try to say stanky, sticky uh, mango rice yeah. instead of donuts, right? And then, but I think people learn better from experience mm-hmm. than from uh, verbiage and even charts. So when they feel it, then it, it, it's, it's a much easier uh, pressure point to hit. Well said. Uh, I recommend after the, the two-week uh, bulletproof diet thing, we avoid all these things, have pizza, beer, and ice cream, uh, and just wake up the next day and see what you're made of. And, uh, and I, I think that that's why for the average listener, I don't recommend eating garbage once a week because the recovery time is too high for you. It takes a lot of willpower and effort. But if, if once a week you do higher carbs, you might even, mm. God forbid, have a little sugar that day, yeah, but yeah. not like deep fried sugar bombs you know, yeah. with glyphosate frosting. The difference in how you, how you live your life is, is measurable. Like I, I think that the angle 
of your ascent, it will be measurably, measurably better. But I think, you know, a good kick in the balls or punch in the face teaches you a little better than a slap. So, you know, if you have a, a kick in the ball, meals of pizza, ice cream, and uh, beer, the next day you'll feel like shit. And the next weekend, if we say, okay, let's try yeah. other sources of carbs that you could that will not bring in inflammation, then they realize nobody hit them on Saturday night and they feel good. And then they could say, okay. But I find that when you go too low on carbohydrates for too long, your glycogen stores go down too much. Yeah. So I like to give people a refuel day. What's the frequency of refuel day? It depends on how much muscle mass you have. And also sociological factors. So for example, when I used to train a lot of NHL players, they would have a permissive day every fifth day. And two of my players says, is it okay if I have it Saturday night? And I said, like, why Saturday night? Because my family, I've got to spend quality time with them. This is the off season. And can I, can I have cheesecake and wine that day? So they were actually doing it less frequently. I said, you know, go ahead. And it worked for those guys. They, they would rather have a permissive meal every seven days and do it with their family than every five days alone, sort of thing. Right? Mm-hmm. And so you got to look at those factors. You know, the key is is progression, not perfection. And, well said. You know, yeah. So it's you know, uh, it's one step at a time. But the thing is, is that a really good book that I recommend to you readership is actually from Gretchen Rubin, better than before. Oh yeah, she yeah. Actually, yeah, it's, it's probably something you should have on your on your podcast. Absolutely. She, I've listened to her and I bought her books, and it explains a lot of things that I kind of figured out over the years, but I did not have a name for it. But she did have a name for it. Uh, some people are upholders and they'll do everything you do, and they all those so strict on some people, and there's people that will comply all the time. They, they don't do anything for themselves, and there's questioners and there's you know, rebels or whatever. But the, the like for example, some people here could listen to you and I's advice on managing insulin, and because they're variable, say fuck these guys, I'm going to eat as much insulin producer yet. You know, so those guys are hard to convert. They will only convert if they're conv- if they convince themselves. So it, my approach is like, are you better than yesterday? That's what matters. You know? Very important approach. In fact, I think if people walked away from this this interview with. Uh, with just one thing, that might be the most important thing. Now, Charles, we're up on the end of the interview, which kind of makes me sad because I wish that we'd booked like four hours to chat because I think listeners would benefit from that. Maybe I can invite you on again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if, if you're listening and you want that to happen when we post this on Facebook and on iTunes, give us a lot of likes and share this with some friends and I'll, uh, mm-hmm. I'll definitely just, maybe we can do it in person too. It's always more fun to do that. But there's a question I want to ask you. I think you might have some really good insight here. And I've asked every guest out of uh, more than 350 guests on Bulletproof Radio. And it's, if someone came to you tomorrow and said, look, I want to kick more ass at everything, not just in the gym, not just on the field, but just want to be kick ass at life. What are the three most important pieces of advice you have for me from, from any, anything you've ever lived? The most important things. Number one, what you appreciate, appreciates. So you have to be grateful. Gratitude, okay, so the clothes you wore t- today, you chose them, right? So we live in a country where we can pick the clothes we want, you know, for a large percentage of it. But I think that if we, every day you have a grateful log and you, you make a list, but it's not like I'm grateful for my dog. And, you know, try to come up with three <laughs> different things and you could lower the bar on gratitude. So let's say if you're traveling and I'm in a Radisson hotel, and I, the bed sheets are better than staying, let's say, at the Hilton. So I'm grateful and sleeping in a great bed. I could do something as menial with that. Mm. But it's, it's when you start to appreciate the little things that things change. And when you appreciate things, things change for you, right? So, for example, you get a big check. You should write, I really like that big check I just got today. And you'll have more big checks. Uh, appreciate the progress I made in the gym today. You'll make more progress. So what you appreciate, appreciates. Number two, I would say... If I were to relive my life and then give this advice on my deathbed, uh, sleep better. I think sleep is the most underrated um, 
a health factor in people's lives. That's the third time you said sleep better, not sleep more. And that's another thing that's Correct. really interesting about you because I am so in that camp with you. All right, on the next episode with you, uh, not, it won't be the next one, but next time I interview you, I want to go deep with you on sleep because that's one of the areas where I've, I've spent a lot of time writing. And I know you know some stuff there we didn't get into. So we're going to save that for number two. Okay. All right, what's your, what's your third, uh, your third uh, answer to that big question? Stay away from grains. doesn't matter what <laughs> genetics you are. Right? Because, yes. <laughs> yeah, because if, you, if let's say you make me emperor of all galaxies tomorrow, right? I can't force people to not ask... <laughs> to have a grateful log or to go to bed early or whatever. But I would ban grains. There's one problem with that. 58% of the world population would die within a week because that's the biggest caloric intake. But let's say ban grains in the top GNP countries of the world would have a huge impact because we... Yeah. Grains rob you of minerals. They create inflammation. You know, I mean, some genotypes do better, but if we went uh, grain-less, as I thought, also the brains would work better. I mean, I have, you know, a few private Facebook pages, and I see questions, and I'm going like, that guy must have had pancakes for breakfast. If, if it's, <laughs> it's, because there's a good study from Harvard, all you eating pancakes for breakfast, those your IQ 20%. So... I mean, temporarily, but the, the thing is, is that in a society that's so carb uh, addicted, we can't uh, get people's mind to function properly. If everybody was just 20% more efficient with their brain, our whole society would change. That is, uh, th- that is my experience, uh, and we're, we're certainly in alignment there. Now... You have a book that you're going to release for just, a, a, I think, a couple weeks for people mm. listening to the show today, uh, similar yeah. to what you did with Tim Ferriss uh, when you were on his show. D- tell uh, listeners the kind of stuff you put in this book and what they have to do to get it. Okay, so what, the, what it, they learn in the book is muscle loss. Like, these are things I really like to live principle-based. So I say, like, often should be trained. So I give all the, the why first, and then I give you the how. So if you don't give a crap about the uh, why, you can do the how. So there's detailed training plans. And I created a private Facebook page for it. So when, when you get, buy the book, we invite you to the private page. And there you can ask your question. And one of the big features, people say, well, I, I read the book, and now people strength sense it himself is answering their questions. And then it, with the book, we give you how to eat, we tell you what how to prepare your brain for the workouts and so on. And I basically have a consumer's guide to supplements because there's millions of supplements out there and there's a lot of fraud, right? So I tell you. Oh yeah, so I tell it's you, a huge problem. Huge problem, so I tell you this. And then um, I think that the, I mean, every single reader said, the biggest advantage for this $47 they invested is how much return they add on it. So that's great positive feedback. Um, you know, I listened to Schwarzenegger in a uh, private VIP uh, seminar in uh, Melbourne. And, you know, he, he said, you have to break the mirror and look who's behind the mirror if you want to make a change in society. So it, it's the first time I've written a book uh, on a detailed book on how to build muscle mass. I've written a lot of books on strength training, but that's, this one would be more for your listening audience because they're trying to fight aging, but the information is still applicable, or highly applicable, in fact. And then um, uh, I think your listeners will benefit quite a bit from it. Um, beautiful. So we'll, uh, we'll hook all of you up with that. And uh, Charles and I are definitely in the same... Uh, in, in the same vein, there are definitely some differences. I encourage you as as budding biohackers to take a look at what works for you, which is most important. And uh, and I, by the way, I forgot I was going to mention earlier uh, in the in the show, Charles, with uh, MCTs versus brain octane at the American Academy of Anti Aging Medicine a couple weeks ago. I presented a a new study looking at ketone formation from mm. coconut oil, which mm. raises ketones the same as 
as fasting for eight hours, like very modest rise. Uh, MCT oil, just the generic source with the mixed types of oil, uh, raised ketones about twice coconut oil, but the brain octane oil was between four and five times higher. Wow. So you can get to that 0.5, and that's why mm. I do that brain octane versus MCT, even though it, it's in a category of MCTs, it's, it's a, a, sub, a subcategory, but you're getting a lot more a lot more ketones before you hit the bowel tolerance disaster pants level. So I, I'm just bringing that up because I know a lot of people listening are like, well, if I go read Charles's stuff and he you know, tells me to drink lemon juice in the morning, which by the way, I like yeah. uh, in the morning, but uh, I don't always talk about it. And w- whatever other tweaks, it's all good. Like you're allowed to go out and, and do what works for you. And I gotta say, Charles has an incredible reputation uh, and, and an incredible body of experience, especially working with, ath- with athletes He's focused at least as much as I am on aging because he's got 10 more years on me uh, and has, has looked at some of these things, and I'm, I'm really getting into that. Uh, welcome. Uh, I'm very pleased. First of all, I thank you for being on, but I'll, I'll try it out the brain, octane fuel. You're stimulating my uh, brain on that one. Uh, I'm always looking for I'll send you some. the latest bioact, but I appreciate being on the show and looking forward to the next one. Thank you. Thanks for being on the show. It was my pleasure. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.